Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. We are talking today to Albion VC's team. That is a well-known VC firm based out of London, part of Albion Group. And we're going to talk about what they are up to. They invested in companies that uh, help our everyday lives like Booking.com and uh, many others focusing also on uh, fintech and deep tech and, uh, and healthcare. So, but we're going to talk about primarily about fintech and uh, what's going on, what are the views on what uh, has happened uh, in the last few months and uh, what we can expect going forward. So welcome, Ed and Jessica. How are you today? Very good. Thank you for inviting us along. Doing well. Thanks a lot, Rudy. Brilliant. So can you briefly introduce yourselves and tell us what brought you to VC investing? Um, well, I, I can take a start here because I'm newest to Albion. I've been with the firm about a year and been okay. in VC for about a year. Um, I took actually a rather meandering path to VC. Um, originally, I was actually working more in international affairs and international economics. Um, got my master's in, in econ, and I worked in Washington for the Obama administration, doing mostly financing for large infrastructure projects in emerging markets. But um, quite a few of these were in telecommunications and actually the space sector. So it was my first exposure to tech. After a few years in Washington, I moved over to Wall Street and started covering tech media telecom M&A for Rothschild. And I did that in New York for a few years and then moved over to the London headquarters and covered uh, European M&A. Towards the end, I was doing a lot more enterprise software and saw this as just a spectacular growth area that I wanted to sort of lever my career more towards. And so, you know, I I wanted to move over to the investing side as opposed just to the advising side and work with these sorts of high growth businesses. Was looking at, you know, more more traditional investing, like, for instance, private equity, but saw that there was quite a bit more financial engineering than actual engineering, which wasn't uh, as exciting to me. So um, I started looking at VC and really only considered uh, one firm, which was Albion. And I, I think they sort of found me in which I think was a a sea of banker and consultant CVs. And Ed took a chance on me and I've been uh, doing this work for about a year now and, and really enjoying it. Great, great stuff. And uh, Ed, I mean, you've been a partner at Albion for a while. I guess you joined Albion when, uh, you know, becoming a VC investor wasn't that obvious. So, you know, it has become quite fashionable in the last few years. But when you started it uh, a while back, I mean, how did what attracted you to, to do this? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, and uh, having to um, cast my mind back quite a while, because I've, I've, been, I've been here now for 16 years. Um, so, um, but I mean, when, when I left university, I didn't really know what I was going to do. And the, the, I mean, back then, one of the obvious things you might do for a while was banking, um, as you kind of learn some skills and figure out how the world works. And um, I was just sort of lucky enough 
to to be advising companies during the dot com boom and bust. And there were some just extraordinary stories of companies that would go from like fifty million of value to one point billion back down to eight million, you know, all within sort of eighteen months. Um uh, and that was exciting, but also a bit sort of hysterical. Um, none, nonetheless, the sort of just the excitement, I think, you know, it was all driven, obviously, by the, the kind of birth of the Internet. Um, and it was just it was just a really interesting time generally. Um, and then in terms of like the sort of companies we were working with, I mean, a, a lot of the uh, banking community and advisory community gets really excited by sort of mega mergers and really big deals. And I always remember just finding the companies and these and sort of working with these sort of entrepreneurs who had you know they'd just been in hospital and you know this is all before mobile phones they were in a hospital and they needed to you know ring a ring a relative uh, and they couldn't and so they you know we'd come up with this idea of some new sort of phone system that that you could be sort of wheeled around the hospital and they'd just go and go make it happen and then go and build a company around it and then go and float it and then go and be a, a, you know a big success and you know just like it was just so cool just watching this stuff and so uh when i decided i want to move on from banking um there was a the obvious route was to go into private equity if you want to stay in the financial world and then i just kind of fluked upon meeting um the team who were there at, at, at Albion and and I just loved them and just, you know, it was working on these four companies and I gave it a go and I've been doing it ever since. Right. Well, great. But maybe we should also explain how Albion VC fits into the Albion group, right? I mean, uh, can you tell us a bit uh, how how does that uh, relationship work? Yeah, it's um, it, I'll give you the short version. Um, but so basically we, we run these funds, VCT funds, which are sort of specific to the UK. Um and um they're generalist uh early stage funds they have a mandate to invest in in kind of young businesses uh and and we've got you know that was always what we did and was investing everything from tech but also you know through to building care homes or um setting up drinks distribution companies i mean any any business in its sort of infancy as it was as it was going um and over time that that you know we've 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 done well. We've been, you know, lucky enough to get some investments right. The funds have grown, and then what we've ended up doing is specialising. And so Albion VC is now the, basically, you know, the VC, the pure VC bit of of the broader Albion business. Um, and now we've got a, a sort of dedicated team and very clear focus and mandate as to what we're doing on the tech side. Right. And what's your investment focus or philosophy? Um, maybe Jessica, you start uh, for change. Sure, absolutely. So we focus on B2B software and digital health at the Series A stage. And Series A for us means for post-product market fit, where we can help the companies sort of scale from there. And then, you know, within uh, B2B software, we can be quite vertical agnostic, whether that's, you know, fintech or cybersecurity or, or other, other industry that that software is designed for. Right. And what sort of checks uh, do you write? Uh, our initial check size is typically one to five million pounds. Okay. And uh, are you focused only on the UK or only Europe or how does that work? Yeah, that's right. So we focus uh, from a geography point of view, we focus on companies with significant presences in the UK. Um, we like the sort of management close to home so that we can have a really, a really close relationship with them, a really supportive relationship and, and some, some significant UK element of the business needs to be present. So do you pop in in their offices or did you before the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we would like to stay in really close touch with everyone in the portfolio. 
Yeah, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting point you make there, though, because, I mean, certainly in our philosophy to date, you know, like the, the benefit of having, uh, a, you know, I'd say we focus on the UK, but a lot of them are in London, and the benefit of being able to just drop around someone's offices and see how they're doing, you know, like you, it's really clear. So, you know, if we're moving to a kind of hybrid or remote first world, it definitely, you know, changes the model. Now, the other point about about the UK focus is that um, because we've been doing early stage investing for, you know, 20 years in the UK, we have a really incredible network of supporters of the UK tech community and the UK early stage business community. So we can offer the most support uh, to companies with a with a UK focus through our network here. Right. And how much money have you raised since inception and how many startups are we talking about? I think I've seen somewhere you have 50 startups in the portfolio or 50 investments and uh, a few hundred million that you have put together or are you managing now? What's the situation right now, Ed? Yeah, yeah we, we've been around for quite a while. So, um, I, I mean, the first fund was raised back in um, the late 90s. So, you know, since then, uh, you know, we've invested in about 200 startups. Uh, we've been in, I think we have, you know, been involved in about 600 fundraising rounds in them. And like working out exactly how much we raise is, is not completely straightforward because we have a sort of annual fundraising cycle. But we've got about 600 million pounds under management at the moment across three different funds. Right. And uh, you mentioned that you're, you know, you focus on B2B software. Within that, you have fintech, right? But fintech is still a very wide word, you know, wide category. So uh, do you have any preferences? You know, does it have to be B2B fintech or uh, P2P or do you like or do you hate blockchain? Uh, how, do, how do you see that? I think we've within fintech, we've over-indexed, I think, on, on software for financial services players. So a B2B business model and a software business model as opposed to, say, a neobank or a, a peer-to-peer lending service or something along those lines. So, you know, some good examples of that from the portfolio might be Quantexa, which is um, a data analytics network generation software for, you know, that can for banks uh, initially to to help them fight financial crime, but also increasingly used for uh, KYC, increasingly used around um, you know customer insights for for these large banks. Another great example would be um, Imandra, which sells uh, automated software testing software uh, that can help uh, explain. Uh, what were formerly black box AI algorithms that a lot of banks are using for trading. Uh, so, for instance, Goldman Sachs is a client of theirs. Um, so it tends to be software where there's a financial services client. Right. Okay. Understood. And and how do you find them? I think, obviously, you mentioned you have an, an amazing network. You've been around for a while. So I suspect that you have a lot of inbound. But uh, let's push it a bit further. And would you give a chance to somebody from Manchester who doesn't have any connection to you or uh, or your connections, and maybe they have a great idea they came up with in a, in a, in their bedroom? So, uh, how would somebody like that be able to approach you and uh, and uh, stand out? What, what are you looking for when you hear ideas? Absolutely, they would be able to approach us for for sure. We look at everything, so you know, inbounds. A lot of what we do is is inbounds, guys like that reaching out um, to to say that they have they have a company and they have an opportunity. And we also do quite a bit of outbound research on themes we're interested in and subsectors we're interested in, and startups that are coming through the community um, in in those in those themes. Um, but what 
when we invest is at the Series A stage. So we invest uh, post what we call product market fit. So you have a product, um, not just an idea, but an actual an actual sellable MVP and, and product, and you've already sold it to two to three to four uh, enterprise sort of customers um, and that all sort of look the same. And you're selling that same product for the same use case. And typically, when we're talking about sort of the level of commercial traction, that all usually adds up to about a million of recurring revenue. So um, we we invest at that Series A stage when things are post product market fit. But when things you know get to that stage, we look at all sorts of different companies as long as they're a B two B software company, you know whether they have existing connections to us or not. Right. And Ed, what's your investment approach, you know, when you look at it a bit more from a technical point of view? So obviously you take a minority stake. Uh, do you try to get the board seat every single time or sometimes observe a seat is all right? And when you come in at uh, Series A, are you staying until the very end or, you know, you participate in a couple of rounds and then you exit or how does that work? You know, we like to be as supportive as we can while respecting the fact that we're not, you know, we're not part of the exec team. We don't run the company. You know, we we invest and we um, and we've got loads of experience of investing in, you know, companies with many similar challenges. And we try to bring that experience to bear. And as as Jess mentioned, you know, we've got a you know increasingly deep network of um, people that can help along the way, be it um, help on the hiring side, um, international expansion. Uh, product roadmap or, or whatever it is but that you know there are kind of you know it's just as you know we're, we're investing in companies that you know we know they've got something now because they've they've sold now on a, on a kind of repeatable basis um uh, and and we kind of fit well so they've solved a a problem that is that is repeated and we're trying to see how that business that's got something can then scale into a an international organization um so you know, will be involved as much as they want, but you know that typically means a board seat. That that typically means we have a, a state that is meaningful enough that our voices listen to, um, and uh, and then we just try to be you know to remain, I guess, involved uh, on a, on a merit basis. Um, we will often you know after our initial investment, you know, sort of maintain our pro rata stake, uh, you know, through to through to the through to the exit for as long as we can. All right, understood. That's great. Well, Jessica mentioned a couple of examples of uh, where you invested, but if you look back or also at successful exits and, uh, you know, also your uh, com- your companies that where you invested at, uh, can you brag a little bit more and say, you know, this is something I'm really proud of uh, where we started, you know, supporting this company early on and our bets uh, worked out? Uh, well, I'll, I'll just pick a very early one and a very recent one because that's maybe a good nice sure. sort of framing, and there will be some nice ones in between. So um, you, you mentioned um, Booking.com. So we, we um, so actually uh, one of our colleagues, Will, um, met Lee Phillips, who is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Active Hotels, um, right, right at the beginning of their journey. I think it was just 2003. Um, so this is the depths of the dot-com bust, you know, and the idea that, that here was, you know, a, an internet business. Um, you know, it was not going to get you in the door of many investors. Um, but um, you know, Andy had um, he just sort of graduated um, from INSEAD and um, as a, you know, as a, a, an MBA grad, you know, who had come up with a business plan and went and tested it. He rang up 700 hotels, I think, um, before confirming there was definitely an opportunity here to build an online bookings platform. 
Um, and um, anyway, so the business came in, you know, it was very early, but they were showing immense growth. Uh, it was very clear it was a possible business model out, out the blocks. And so, you know, we invested in it. Um, and um, uh, that was the, I think that was the first financial round into the business. Uh, and as, anyway, so that, that, that company then grew uh, to about a hundred million pounds of value from, you know, I mean, it was, you know, single digits when we invested within about 18 months. It was then bought by Priceline and then merged with Booking.com. So most of the back end stayed with Active Hotels. Obviously, the brand was Booking.com. The combined businesses have grown out of what is still the most successful startup to come out of Europe. So that was, was quite a journey. Um, and then more, more recently, um, uh, Jess mentioned Quantexa, which has been a really um, amazing investment to be part of so far. So we met the company, I think they were six months old when we first met them. Uh, incredible team who you just, you know, were so excited to work with. And they had maybe 20 odd people. And it was incredibly competitive even back then. I think they had 17 companies um, that they were speaking to about investment, even though they were so young. Uh, and they've gone now from those 20 odd people, we're now, I think, almost 300 people. And it's three years since we invested. They've now selling to many of the largest banks globally. Um, they have been spotting, you know, human trafficking rings. They're, they've been spotting, you know, it, I mean, a whole, I mean, it's, one of those companies coming and said, we've just found something. We can't tell you what it is because it's, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, when you in the world of money laundering and financial crime at that scale, it's often quite serious. But, um, you know, the company's grown in value 20 times since we invested, uh, three years ago. It's still growing up really fast. Amazing team. Uh, you know, just proud to be a, be a part of that. All right. So, Jess, so you worked in the US and you worked in Europe. There are a lot of cultural differences. And of course, the governance or setup of a country or a market differences between the two. But when you see uh, the similar differences between the UK and the rest of Europe, uh, what are your thoughts about startups, you know, scaling up and their ambition level and going global ideally? Do you think that the people are thinking about it a bit more in the UK than on the continent, which is a bit kind of common knowledge or the other way around, or it's individual? And what would be your message to aspiring entrepreneurs building their businesses? Right. So we, we're really focused on the on the UK tech ecosystem, given our, our fund mandate. So we, this is sort of we know our home our home court best. And we, we really view the UK as a great source of global innovation. So the drivers here are world class research hubs, world class universities. It's sort of historical role as a magnet for talent from all over the world. And London especially has developed a great network to support uh, entrepreneurs. So there's there's great research coming out of the local universities. There are incredible finance and, and world-class customers all together in, in sort of one city and, and entrepreneurs coming up through that network. In fact, we just saw a report on, on the AI uh, landscape that showed that London actually has the second largest number of AI companies after the Bay Area and ahead of New York. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. yeah. Which just speaks, I think, to the quality of the, the tech research that's coming out of some of the institutions here. You know, UCL's computer science department, for instance, developed the Bloomsbury AI team, which which sold to Facebook. Um, you know, DeepMind coming out of London. Uh, lots of uh, the technology behind Alexa coming out of Cambridge. There's there's a lot of deep AI, uh, interesting, cutting edge research going on here. Um, 
it's also incredible how the sector has changed just in the last few years. A few years ago, there were only a couple of accelerators. And then two years later, there were 90 here in the UK. So um, there's, there's a great early stage scene here. In terms of global ambitions, we definitely look to support really ambitious founders that, that want to build unicorn level businesses, decacorn level businesses that will inevitably scale globally um, to support you know, that size of a business. And what's great about enterprise software is that's, that's really achievable because you're dealing with enterprise clients that are global anyways. And there's a lot of those kind of clients based here in the UK, whether that's global banks, many of which are, are based out of the UK, uh, global insurers, uh, global healthcare companies, um, all sorts. So um, we, we view the scene as having, having changed really positively in the last few years. Great. So let's stay optimistic then. Yeah, absolutely. My next question is a bit more, uh, you know, wide ranging. I mean, how do you see the prospects of fintechs versus incumbent banks, uh, Ed? Because some people say, and you may agree or not, uh, not that uh, especially in Europe, people quite early on realize that it's very difficult to build a B2C brand. I mean, there are a few, but in comparison to the US, uh, a lot of the fintechs have gone through the route of cooperation with the incumbents rather than trying to Uh, destroy them or disrupt them so what is your view on this and uh, especially your focus on b2b software and working with the incumbents so um yeah i mean on the b2c side it is really interesting to see the progress of the of the challenger sort of banks and another kind of consumer fintechs that have that have emerged recently and um you know they they don't have you know decades of legacy systems holding them back you know they're they're agility is their sort of competitive advantage uh and um and 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 uh, you know and also you know they don't have quite the regulatory glare and lens and uh, you know we, we've definitely seen a few startups where you're like why are the banks not doing this and and then you dig into it and like they just can't risk you know like it being done and mm. something bad being found within there because they get fined on the basis of the size of the whole bank rather than relative to the size of the particular case in hand and um so, um, so I think you know. I, I think we're going to see a, you know a lot more to come still on the, on the consumer side. Um, I mean, the other the other big change coming through is is open banking um, and all of the opportunity that comes with that. And again, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity for the startups to um, you know just sort of see the newers and move into them before any of the banks do. But the banks have got the brand, they got the trust, um, and they got the balance sheet. So. And particularly here in in um, in Europe, you know, there's some really enormous global incumbents that are you know world class in every respect. Uh, you know, they're going to be very difficult to compete with. So probably the better opportunity is where you see a, a new market opening up, and you move into that new market, and you're the first, and you become the de facto leader in that new bit, rather than trying to disrupt you know pretty formidable competitors. All right. So it's been great uh, talking to you, Jessica and Ed. And uh, my last question is, where do interested parties find out more about Albion? And what's the most efficient way to, to reach out, whether through LinkedIn or your website or, or what have you? And what kind of people would you like to hear from most, whether that's startup founders or if you're raising another fund, maybe LP investors? Uh, we'd, we'd love to hear from entrepreneurs and anyone can be in touch with us at hello at albion.vc. Or you can be in touch with me directly on Twitter. I'm at Jess underscore Invest. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at voiceoffintech.com. Happy to hear from you. Thank you.